calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Rogues of the Black Fury, Episode 27. Rogues of the Black Fury, a novel, written and produced by Travis Heerman. This novel contains violence, adult language, and mature situations. Listener discretion is advised. For more information, please visit travisheerman.com slash rogues. Chapter 44 Janice Wollstone sat in his office, reading for the third time the document that had come across his desk, trying his utmost to fathom the complexities of how it had come to exist. The evening light poured through the window at his back with the shutters flung wide to admit the pleasant spring air. The breeze fluttered the soiled, tattered, farthy war standard that hung from the office wall shot through with bullet holes and spattered with the blood of both sides, a trophy of war. Unlike the standard of Cusca hanging in the audience chamber, the Farthy banner placed the moon in eclipse over the sun, a silver disk over a crescent of gold on a black field shared by two four-pointed stars. The nerves of Norgard had been as tight as a hammer spring in the weeks since Bella's kidnapping. His throat still pained him, so he refrained from speaking unless necessary. His voice was still hoarse, and the wound itched frightfully sometimes, but he would survive it, by the grace of Numleaf and Mother Enanon. There were still hundreds, if not thousands, of captives imprisoned within Farbury Castle, sleeping outside in makeshift tents, prevented from returning to their homes by the ubiquitous fear that some of them might be farthy spies and sympathizers. Even if they were not spies before their imprisonment, they might be more inclined to become spies and farthy sympathizers now. They were slowly being questioned and released, but Lord Terrell's interrogators were thorough and suspicious. Many more had been retained in custody for further questioning than had been released. The power of the other great houses breathed down his neck, pressuring him, sniffing for weakness. House Harstorm had fallen into chaos, struggling to decide upon an heir after Lord Challon's murder. The Grand General had expressly forbidden them from bloodshed, 
but he would not be surprised to hear of a few untimely deaths or unexplained illnesses emerging from the inner corridors and sequestered chambers of Harfax Castle. The great houses had sent fresh troops to Tarns Rift and Ramon Pass, and Macklin naval forces had pressed numerous merchant ships into military service, fitting them with new-built Yarburg cannons. Now, this document. He could hardly believe it. A measured, familiar step approached in the hallway outside, and he set the document aside. He would deal with this document last. At the sound of a knock on the door, Janice cleared his throat with a raspy sound. Enter! The door swung open, and Terrell strode into the room, closing the door behind him. He snapped a quick salute, which Janice returned. You called for me, Your Excellency? Yes, Terrell. There are several things I would like to discuss with you. I am at your service, Your Excellency. It is gratifying to see your strength returning. You are nearly your old self again. Why was Terrell behaving so formally? Perhaps because their relationship had grown so strained in recent weeks? Janice said, How many prisoners still remain in Farbury Castle? 1,676, Your Excellency, as of this morning. And how many released today? Four. Just four? And how many spies have you identified? None yet, but we have identified 18 known and potentially dangerous Farthy sympathizers with questionable ties through family and trade association. But no direct evidence of wrongdoing? None yet. The objective was to seek information as much as possible and then let them return home. Terrell looked puzzled. And that is exactly what my interrogators are doing, Your Excellency. It is painstaking work, cross-checking stories, making sure no farthy spies slip through our net. It all takes a great deal of time. We're being very thorough. How long will it take to let those people go home? I would estimate at least three more months to adequately question all of them, Your Excellency. In three months, it will be summer, and they'll be baking in that courtyard like it's a clay oven. We cannot treat our people this way. Terrell stiffened. But we have been, Your Excellency. We both thought it prudent to keep them under control until we determined the best course of action. Are you having second thoughts now? I fear we are building a pile of trouble inside Farbury Castle. Some of them will hate us when they get out of there. I hardly think the hatred of a few peasants outweighs the danger if a few of those spies might get free. My point exactly. To whom do you think those peasants will turn when they want to vent their hatred? Who will have the most sympathetic ear? I fear we're adding to the ranks of our enemies. But, Your Excellency, let them go. You have one week to finish your interrogations, then you will let them all go. That is my order. If you need more interrogators, we'll find more. Terrell stood stiff and wooden before him. Of course, Your Excellency. And the farthy ship? We took it apart, plank by plank, and found nothing untoward, Your Excellency. As I suspected, he was simply an ambitious merchant, and we've had no word of the Black Furies or Javan. None, Your Excellency. Janice picked up the document. I want you to explain this to me. 
he reached across the desk and placed it in front of the Lord Major General. Terrell looked down at it but did not pick it up. You know what it is? I do. It is a warrant for Rusk's arrest. It is. For charges of theft, forgery, and treason. I am aware of the charges, Your Excellency. So what do you intend to do, Terrell? Have him hanged the moment he sets foot again on Cuscan soil. Perhaps we should arrest him when he brings my daughter back. Your Excellency, it is just a precaution. A precaution for what? Your Excellency, are you aware that he forged a letter of order and stole 20,000 sons from the treasury? Janice's brow furrowed. I was not aware of that. If he can produce such an excellent forgery so easily, he can do it any time he pleases. Perhaps. But was this before or after you countermanded my direct order to pay him the 20,000 sons in the first place? Terrell cleared his throat. <clears throat> after, Your Excellency. But it was a difficult time, and you were missing... Janice leaned forward in his chair and clasped his fists on the desk. And that's why I'm not charging you with treason, Terrell. You're treading on dangerous ground. This arrest warrant was written and signed by you three days after I was found. You have overstepped yourself. But, Your Excellency, you used my disappearance to leverage a bit of power for yourself. I can forgive a bit of that, considering the circumstances. Your personal ambitions aside, I know you had the interests of House Wollstone at heart. Of course, Your Excellency, my heart is loyal to House Wollstone. But you also attempted to use my disappearance to enact revenge against Rusk for what he did to you all those years ago. Your Excellency, Rusk will never be more than a foul-hearted, stupid, insubordinate buffoon. He broke your jaw, Terrell. You have every right to hate him. But he paid the penalty. He spent two years in prison for striking a superior officer. Terrell's body was as stiff as an iron billet, trembling with suppressed emotion. And furthermore, when our lines were crumbling under the Farthy Wave attacks, when we didn't have the arms or the bodies to hold them back, Rusk took 500 other prisoners, all of them cutthroats, rabble, vagabonds, scoundrels, and insubordinate bastards, and molded them into the first Black Fury Legion. He took the worst of the worst and made fighting men of them. They weren't the most disciplined, but they were the toughest regiment I have ever seen. And they fought and bled just as crimson as you and I. They died almost to a man, but they held the line. You do remember this, Terrell. Of course, Your Excellency. So indeed, you have every right to hate Rusk, but you do not have the right to impede the only chance my daughter has of seeing Cuscan soil again. By all the gods, you do not have that right. Do I make myself clear? Yes, Your Excellency. You know as well as I that the group he's created is something special. You've heard the stories. Indeed, Your Excellency, I have heard them, and I have never heard of such a band of murderous, ruthless blackguards in all the annals of history. You left out tactically brilliant and fanatically loyal. What else can we use to fight against farthy fanatics? Since when do you consider ruthlessness a vice? 
Janice picked up the arrest warrant, trained his hard, simmering gaze onto Terrell's face, and slowly tore up the document. Rusk is the only man in this world who can bring my children back to me. If, by the grace of the gods, their mission is successful, I expect you will greet his return like a long-lost brother. May I expect that, Terrell. The muscles of Terrell's jaw rippled. I am sorry, Your Excellency. You may not expect that. If he comes back to Cuscan soil with Javin and Bella, he will neither have my trust nor my love but he will have a bit of my respect. Fair enough, Terrell. You are dismissed. Thank you, Your Excellency. Terrell spun on his heel and left Janice's office with the same precise, measured stride that had carried him into it, but perhaps his well-polished boots struck the floor a bit more forcefully than before. Chapter 45 The night grew dark and silent. Silvery clouds scudded across the stars, thickening, darkening. Javin crouched in the shadows between two houses, beside Carl, Rusk, and Horace. The four of them watched Tonin, Shard, Fearjack, Docks, Fishbreath, and Stone, all dressed in the garb of Alcott city guards, walking in formation up to the main gate of the High Temple of the Absatha. Doubtless the rest of the Black Furies were watching their comrades with just as close an eye from other hiding places. The six false guards approached the door built into the gate, and Tonin raised the massive knocker and struck it twice, hard, against the door. Javin spotted no sentries patrolling the battlements now. Tonin struck the door again. Finally, a small window opened. Javin was too far away to hear the exchange, even if he could have understood the farthy tongue. Rusk and Tonin had practiced the speech numerous times. The city guards brought an urgent message from the priest-king himself. This message was to be delivered directly into the hands of the high priest. They were not to give it to anyone else. The day had been too tense, too tragic, and affairs too delicate to trust them to underlings. Tonin was the new captain of the district guardhouse, and the message came straight from the central guard station. Rusk had even managed to make an official wax seal from one of the documents they found in the guardhouse appear as if it had never been opened. Javin's heart skipped a beat as the door of the gate swung inward and the six black furies marched inside. Rusk hissed and made a gesture indicating, Let's go. The four of them ran silently toward the door. As they ran, other black shapes emerged from the shadows and crevices in the streets near the gate, ghosting forward like slivers of menace. The clang of weapons and the scuffle of feet erupted through the open door. Javin was close upon Carl's heels as they flung themselves through the door. Three of the Furies lay on the ground alongside three temple guards. The fourth temple guard fell as Rusk's broadsword smashed through the back of his head. Fearjack lay on the ground, clutching his side. By the gods, boss, they're fucking quick! His hand clutched a dark stain spreading through the linen robes. Got me right under the breastplate! Carl said, is it bad? Fearjack stood up, took a deep breath, and shrugged the pain away. Just a scratch. The same was not true of Doc's, however. He lay on his face with blood pooling under his helmet. Rusk knelt and rolled him over. A single massive puncture had cleft deep into his forehead and eye, precisely in the gap between the cheek plates and the upper helm, driven the eye from its socket. 
Docks was not breathing. The third fury on the ground was Tonin. He lay on his back, staring up at the night with glazed eyes. But he was alive, and Javin could not see any blood. Tonin held up his hand, and Javin pulled him to his feet. Tonin peeled off the helmet and clutched the back of his head. I didn't even see what happened. It feels like they hit me in the back of the head with a bridge plank. They were so fast. It was like they knew we were going to attack and let it happen. Aye, Shard said. They knew we were impostors, but they let us in anyway. They thought they could take us all. Rusk said, Then watch yourselves, lads. We're not taking any prisoners. We don't know their numbers. This lot makes the monks of Barmia look like bocklings. He took a long look around the temple complex's interlocking buildings, his dark eyes absorbing, calculating. Lamps burned bright in the cavernous interior of the gigantic central temple and around the tops of the battlements. Codsuckers, you stick to my arse like boils and perhaps we'll all see the dawn. With a flick of his thick forearm, he slung the blood and hair off his broadsword. As before, use blades only. He nudged one of the dead temple guards with his boot. These fellows weren't carrying pistols, but we don't assume none of them do. If they start shooting first, then go ahead and use your guns, but any noise will bring the real city guards down upon us. If we find Bella and Sasha, take them back to the guardhouse. That is our rendezvous point. Now, shut the gate behind us. Ost, take your team and scout inner perimeter of the walls. Look for backways in and out and block them if you can. We don't want any of them slipping away. The rest of us are sticking together. Javin felt a tingle. What about the avenues for the Furies to escape? Rusk led them all in a loose formation, like a gust of wind, toward the steps leading up to the entrance of the temple and inside. The immense interior was a black cave spotted by lantern light. Rusk led them behind the pillars along one side. Two temple guards emerged from a side door. Rusk's sword was as swift and deadly as Javin had ever seen, slashing the throat of one and shattering the skull of the other before either could draw steel. Javin could only watch in awe. He remembered Rusk's speech so long ago where he called himself the god of combat. With a cold chill of recognition in his belly, Javin realized that Rusk's outrageous words were no empty bluster. Rusk was a big man, but he moved with a surety and celerity that Javin could hardly comprehend. He never rushed his movements. He simply moved with the speed of instincts, created by endless hours of training and danger. The Furies moved around the interior of the cavernous temple, checking guard rooms, storerooms, worship halls, studies, offices, until they came to a door on the side of the right-hand colonnade. The door had a heavy bar and a grated window, almost like a cell door. Rusk opened the window and peeked inside. His dark brows rose. Then he nodded to everyone. Hope surged in Javin's chest. Rusk thrust the bar aside and swung open the door. Dim light spilled out. He cocked his head at Carl, who immediately stalked through the door, broadsword low and deadly. The other Furies ghosted in behind him, followed lastly by Rusk and his three boils. Linen curtains and sumptuous divans, but no one here. A few dim lamps cast complex shadows through the room. The air smelled of incense and perfume. The room remained deathly silent, even with a swarm of black figures sweeping through. They reached the back wall in a row of cell doors. Carl picked up an oil lamp and moved toward one of the cells, held the light to the window and peered inside. Muffled screams and gasps erupted out of the darkness. Here, Carl called back quietly. 
At the sound of his voice, more hushed whisperings and gasps of surprise wafted from the other cell doors. "'Bella Wollstone!' Carl called in a half-whisper. "'Are you here?' A plaintive voice came from inside the cell. "'Master, please let us out. We've been forced to stand in here since this morning. I know of Bella and one other called Sasha.' He flung open the door and a handful of exhausted-looking slave girls poured out. They coagulated into a group with young, glistening eyes wide at the sight of so many fearsome, grim-faced men and so much bared steel. A pretty, dark-haired girl with olive skin and full, pillowy lips, perhaps a bit younger than Javin, spoke up. Bella and Sasha were here. Bella is my friend, but the men took both of them. Sasha tried to escape and killed Sira, but they caught her. And then they took Bella and Sasha away. Sasha was bleeding. Are you Bella's father? As Javin listened to her, his heart began to pound harder and harder. No, Carl said. We are her guardians and avenging angels. The girl clasped her hands together and breathed. Oh, that's so good! Are you going to save her? We are going to try. She looked at Javin. You look like her. The grim expression on Carl's face cracked a sliver of smile at the girl's forthright enthusiasm and growing exuberance. The girl and some of her friends curtsied. "'An honor, Master. I hope you find her before her Sunethi. She is so scared about that.' "'What is that?' Javin said. "'It's a—a a girl's ceremony, to purify her and consecrate her to the gods. They were going to do it tonight, but Sasha killed Sira and—' "'Enough loose tongues,' Rusk said. "'We still have a job to do.' Open the rest of those cell doors. The Furies moved to do his bidding. Rusk said, Girl, what's your name? I am called Seersir, Master. Do you know where the priests took them? She shook her head. Dozens more slave girls tumbled out of the open cells, some of them collapsing to their knees. Seersir glanced at them with pity. Can you take us with you too, Master? Rusk looked at her long and hard. He traded glances with Carl and the two of them shared a silent exchange. Javin studied his face, and he looked back at Seersir. His bristling granite features softened, almost imperceptibly. He spoke slowly, as if trying to remember a softer voice. We cannot take you out of here with us. You will be safest here, for now. We have some right bloody work to do first. Seersir's eyes burst with tears, but she bit back a sob and kept her voice steady. Very well, master. Nevertheless, he continued, you have my word that your days within this temple are numbered. Did you hear me, all of you? Fearful faces in white linen shifted and wavered in the dim light, and wide eyes turned upon Rusk. I give you my word, he said. Now do any of you know anything of Hal-Hamut? Hal-Hamut! What is it? A quiet voice from a different group of slave girls. Halhamut Kimsov. Rusk gestured at Tonin, who stepped forward and began to question the farthy slave girl. Tonin and the girl spoke for a few moments, then he turned to Rusk. Boss, she says Halhamut is a mountain about half a day's ride north of the city. There was once a, an ancient fortress there, all the way back to the time of the prophets. Did the fortress belong to the Absatha? Tonin interpreted the question and listened to her response. For hundreds of years no one has gone there, because no one who goes there ever returns. There are many stories about monsters and demons said to inhabit the mountain, 
and the fortress ruins are full of ghosts. Rusk's eyes narrowed, and he nodded. Tell her thank you. Now let's get moving. Searser said, Please don't let them hurt Sasha any more. She is strong and wanted to save us. Rusk growled. If they hurt Sasha or Bella, you'll be able to smell their blood from here. Seersir paled and swallowed hard. Javin's heart dropped behind his belt buckle. His mind began to churn with the horrors that men like these could inflict upon Sasha. Bella had become important as a hostage, but Sasha could be tortured for information. Now, Rusk said to Seersir, where do the bastards sleep? Furies tore through the high temple of the Absatha like a death wind. Their attempt to capture some of the priests alive was useless. Even caught unawares, asleep, the Absatha fought like feral beasts. Even the group of young men and boys they found in the highest chamber of the tower, sleeping under the stars, gorged with wine and feasting. They looked like new recruits, lacking the lethal skills and speed of the others, but not the ferocity. Thanks to bellies full of food and wine, however, they moved like drunken sluggards, but there was no fear in their eyes as the Fury's blades came for them. Only defiance and hatred. It was a grim business, reminiscent of the massacre at Barmia Temple, but far more dangerous. The Absathans were consummate killers, and their knives flashed with the speed of lightning. One of them charged from within a small cell. In a split second of instinct, Javin met the charge with the perfect thrust into his enemy's chest. The Absathan's body fell. If he had not been moving in that direction, his thrust would have landed too late and he would be dead. Tonin stepped up to him. Well done. Carl smirked. You were lucky that time, Javin. But there's nothing wrong with a bit of luck. The boss is the luckiest horse son in the world. With a deadly grin, Rusk pulled his blade from the crumpling form of another Absathan. I am not lucky. Half an hour later they had cleared the high temple of enemies, but Ost and his team of Stone, Singer, and Brown Buff were missing. Rusk sent Carl and Tonin to search the offices and library for maps and information that would help them plan their next move, and then took the rest of the Furies to search for their missing comrades. Rusk took Javin and the rest of the Furies out into the courtyard and followed the route that Ost would have taken around the perimeter of the temple. Near the postern gate, motionless forms sprawled haphazardly like the spokes of a wheel. Six Ibsothan guards lay bloody and still, and four black-clad furies lay among them. Rusk cursed a stream of black invective that Javin could only half hear. Ost lay propped up against the stone wall. A dark, wet stain soaked his belly, and there was a long gash in his shirt across his torso. Rusk knelt in front of Ost. Ost had been an odd man, but a fair and effective teacher. Seeing his body lying there with three other men Javin had come to know, trained with, fought with, Stone, Singer, and Brown Buff, twisted his belly even tighter. As Javin had progressed through their training aboard Bella's Star, he had earned a bit of their grudging respect, and they his. Oss started and opened his eyes. Oh, boss, it's you. He raised his arm weakly to Rusk's shoulder. Aye, it's me. How bad is it? Just a scratch, boss. Having myself a bit of rest is all. Ost's head lolled and his eyes wandered, as if unable to focus. What happened? 
They jumped us, boss. They came down the wall like spiders. But we got them all. Aye, you got them all. Rusk's voice was low. He lifted Ost's shirt and looked at the wound, a neat dark gash the length of a handspan just below his ribcage. We'll sew this up, and you'll be on your feet in a day or two. Sure, boss, Ost gasped. But I've seen your sewing. I'd rather have an old blind farthy woman do it. Rusk laughed. Fuck you, Ost. He grabbed Ost's arm and hooked Ost's body over his massive shoulder, hauling him to his feet. Fresh blood spurted onto the ground. Javin, keep your hands over that wound. Pinch it closed. Javin fell in on the other side of Ost and clamped his right hand over the wound, helping Rusk support Ost with the left. Warm blood oozed between his fingers and slicked his palm. He could feel the lips of the gash stretching apart as Ost was moved. They carried him back into the temple, into the seraglio, where they placed him on a divan and tended his wound. At some point, Ost fell unconscious again, as Javin stood by and watched Rusk sew the lips of the wound using a talon-shaped needle. Ost's blood dried and thickened on his hands, sticking his fingers together. Many of Javin's teachers over the years had been wise and learned men, and all of them had been highly respectful of Javin's birth and position. Perhaps too respectful. Only the Furies, perhaps Ost chief among them, had cared enough to make it their personal mission to see that the trainees learned every smallest nuance of the subject at hand, whether it was gouging out a man's eye with one's thumb, executing a crippling wrist lock, or absorbing pain. And now, Ost's blood was on his hands. When Rusk finished sewing, he bade the slave girls bring fresh linen, which he tore into strips and wrapped around Ost's body. He called Seersir to him. Girl, I am charging you with the protection of this man. I want you to hide him until he's either well enough to take care of himself or until we come back for him. I can do it, master. We will see to it. Seersir bowed, her face pale, as she looked at the pile of bloody rags on the floor beside the divan. When he wakes, give him plenty of water. Yes, master. Carl and Tonin returned with their arms full of scrolls and documents. Boss, Carl said, we hit the mother load. This is exactly what I had hoped you would find, Rusk said, scouring the documents spread out on a divan. A map of the fortress of Halamut, documents of the history of the Absafa, Letters from spies working in Cuska. Tonin has much reading to do. Tonin said, It will take me some time to read them all, but it seems that the Absatha are an old, old sect, broken off from the Farthy religion, but allowed to continue their existence because of their piety and their political influence. There are temples in every major city in Fartha. How many Kalads in the stable? Twenty-three, boss, Carl said. Is there an accounting of their numbers? Rusk asked. He shuffled through the papers. I thought I saw that somewhere here. There are twenty-seven men on this duty schedule. We have killed thirty-two tonight. If we assume the rest of them have moved to Halhamut, or are stationed there, that's a sizable force. Forty-five. He ran his thick fingers through his beard, looking around at the other Furies. 
There were still sixteen men in fighting condition, but Fearjack was wounded. Fearjack, you're going to stay here and guard Ost and lock the gate behind us. I'm afraid with your wound you won't be able to make the ride. Don't bother answering the door if anyone knocks. They're not likely to be friendly. Let them just think you're being rude. Fearjack stiffened. I can make the ride, boss. But his pale face and shaky hands betrayed him. Don't argue with me, Fearjack, Rusk said. Ost here needs a chaperone, or he'll kill himself humping all these slave girls, and I know you're the paragon of virtue. Fearjack glanced at Seersir and the other girls and rubbed the fine stubble along his jaw. Sorry, boss. You're right. You need someone to guard the back door. I thought you'd see it my way. Rusk turned to the rest of the Furies. All right, lads, we're off to lay siege. Anyone bother to bring a catapult or some artillery? Shard grabbed his crotch and cracked a snaggletooth grin. I have a cannon right here, boss. Mackett stepped forward with his deep, gravelly voice and mock serious expression. Got a cannon here too, boss. And here, Eden and Mardan, stepping forward together, wagged their hips forward. Rusk laughed. Then I see we're well armed. Let's just make certain you have the right caliber of balls. Thank you for listening to Rogues of the Black Fury by Travis Heerman. If you enjoy the story, don't be shy. Let me know. I would love to hear from you. And don't forget to go to this podcast's homepage and click the donate button. Give whatever you like, but is $4.99 really too much to ask for this many hours of entertainment? Rogues of the Black Fury is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. I encourage you to copy it and give it away to all your roguish friends. Just don't change it or sell it, or the Black Furies will soon be coming after you.